taken a, a bit of time and we've, we've gone a bit slowly in the beginning and setting the foundation of what we've been talking about and why we're looking at prayer the way we are and where we're heading. Now we're going to start beginning into our more practical stage of that. So taking all those foundational truths we've looked at and the basis over which we've, we've talked and start putting that into a practical form to hopefully energize our, our prayers and, and help us not to feel quite so, so stagnant in them. Let's, let's start by reading just a couple of verses out of Ephesians 6. We're going to spend a significant portion of our time in Matthew 6, but let's start here in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. So this is part of the, the armor of God, bringing us to the end of that portion, where it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your word, to share together. We ask for your blessing this evening and, and your guidance, Lord, that indeed we might find joy in your word and pleasure in our prayers. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in those couple of verses, we find kind of summed up everything we've talked about over the last few weeks. So it starts with, with the Word of God and taking the Word of God and then moving into prayer so that we can pray for one another and pray for each other. So we start with the Word and then we go to God through the Spirit so that we can pray for one another. And we're coming here and we're trying to, to figure this out and look at what the Bible says because at least at some point in your Christian life, maybe for long periods, maybe just for short periods, but at some point in your Christian life, your prayer life is going to be frustrating. You're going to find yourself stuck in a rut, stuck feeling like it's not what it should be uh, at some point in your life. And if we can remember these principles, these are the things we can go back to, which can help us get out of those ruts, help us get out of those stagnant times in our prayer, give us vibrant prayer again as it, as it ought to be. As I've mentioned before, and I think I've read this, this comes from the, the book kind of we're basing everything on here. He says, the rut occurs when we allow requests to serve as the foundation of our praying, focusing on our problems rather than actually engaging with God in a multifaceted biblical prayer experience. And so that's what we've been thinking. Instead of being driven by what we see as the need around us, being driven firstly by who God is, so that we can then understand how to deal with, with our needs. And so that's what we want. That's where we want to go. That's what we want to be developing in our life, is that our conversations with God, our times of, of prayer are open and they're clear and they're, they're honest. We want our prayers to be full of worship and uh, that they're, they're not stale, where we just think, here I go again, I'm doing the same thing, praying for the same thing over again in the same way at the same time. So if we're going to get out of those ruts when we come into them and, and find a more vibrant, more fulfilling prayer life, we need to know how to do that. How do I pray like, like this? How do I pray like I see in the scriptures. 
and you're in, in Luke 11. So Jesus uses this, the prayer we're going to look at in just a moment, that what we know as the Lord's Prayer. He uses it twice in two different uh, occasions. On the second occasion, it's brought up by the question from the disciples in Luke 11. Lord, teach us to pray. And that's a question so many people struggle with and so many people ask. How do I pray? Teach me to pray. And so Jesus does indeed teach us to pray. And so we want to think about that tonight and look through how Jesus taught us to pray and what that means. So we're going to start the idea tonight and then we're going to develop it a little bit more in the in next week. And then the week after that, we're going to put it into practice and we're going to take some examples and see how how this works. As we take a scripture, how can we put it together? So I've put it on your, your notes there, the passage here from Matthew 6, and it's there just so you can follow along, but if you want to mark or write or do things in it, if you don't like doing it in your Bible, it's, it's there. But Matthew 6 and verse 9, it says, After this manner, therefore, pray thee, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So this is very familiar. Uh, most people, perhaps less so as the years progress, are at least familiar with this in some way. And this is Jesus teaching us uh, how to pray. So underneath that, that box where the scriptures is, the, the sentence is this. It is, this is Jesus teaching us how to pray, not what to pray. Right? So this isn't just a stale formula like fill in the blank or pray this and just repeat this prayer. This is Jesus showing us that there are, are ways to pray. There's a way to pray where we can see this, this fulfillment, we can worship, and we can cover everything that we need within those, those prayers. It's interesting also, isn't it? it it's, I mean, look at it, it's only a few verses long. This is a short prayer. Some people seem to think, and, and maybe it's this hyper-spiritual idea that we have sometimes of, of prayer and thinking what it needs to be is satisfying, that it needs to be long and and flowery and, and eloquent. This is how Jesus taught us to pray, and it's short, and it's to the point. And in this short little prayer, he packs everything in that we need. Right? So it, it's true that some of the, the great men and women of God in, in history have spent, you know, their practice was to spend two or three hours a day in prayer. Uh, but that doesn't have to be the normal for you to have a, a satisfying, profitable, truly rich prayer life if we're pursuing God the way we, we ought. Our prayers can be deep and meaningful and short. And they can also be very long at times. They can be everything in between. So there's no pattern, there's no uh, restriction or guideline on, you know, if you're going to be a godly person, your prayers are going to be long or they're going to be eloquent. Your prayers should be what are fed from your worship of God. And sometimes they're going to be long, and sometimes they're not, uh, depending on how God works 
in you at that time. So they flow from a heart that's filled with Scripture. And as your heart is filled with Scripture, you respond as such. Now this, this prayer, uh, as you've got in your notes there, it's divided really into two, two sections. Six, six petitions, which are divided into two main uh, things. So the first three petitions, so verse 9 and 10. So, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Those are the first three petitions of this prayer. And those three petitions are toward God. So all those things are spoken to and about God. So they are toward God. The second three petitions, verse 11, 12, and 13, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those second three are about human need. So the first half, those first three petitions that we see in verse uh, 6, or verse 9 and 10, are toward God. The second three are about our need, human need. And so this is where we get to, remember as I, we began this, I used that phrase quite often and I've used it interspersed throughout in terms of thinking about prayer. He is worthy, we are needy. And that's how this prayer is divided up. The first three petitions, he is worthy. The second three petitions, we are needy. And that's, that's the structure. If we want to boil prayer down to its most basic sense, you can fill it around those two things. If you've only got a few moments to pray and you, you need to pray at, or at, at that moment, those, you, you can fill around those two things. He is worthy, I am needy. And you can get a satisfying prayer if you follow those two, two patterns. The first three statements, so the ones that are to God, those stand alone. So those are simple stand-alone phrases which speak directly to who God is. Hallowed be thy name. And that's why they're divided by a full stop there. Hallowed be thy name. Stop. Uh, uh, where is it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The three important standalone petitions. The others, you'll notice, the three which uh, talk about our need are all connected by the word and. Show us that these are all interconnected. These have to do with who we are. And one feeds into the other. They are not simply just, you know, if we need one thing, they all fit together. They show that as a whole, in every part of who we are, we are needy people. And our needs and our, our desires and, and need for God are all interconnected. So let's take a few minutes to step our way through this, uh, this prayer and learn a little bit about it. We're going to divide it up next week into its, sort of its four sections, and I'll show you how that, that goes, like we've been talking about. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If we were to give this, uh, this portion a, a little title, and I'll explain this a little bit more next week, we might call this is the reverence section. So this is where we, we take our focus and we put it on God to give him who he is and what he deserves. So as this, as this prayer begins, our Father, Art in heaven. What is the significance about being taught to open our prayers like this? What, how, how is this, what can we learn from that? What is Jesus trying to teach us here at the beginning of a prayer? If we begin our prayers, it says, beginning of prayer, 
our Father, which art in heaven. Right, so it starts with a relationship to him. So immediately, we're brought with our attention to God and who he is. So we're taken back to who he is by his name. Right, but here he tells us we can address him as father. So we're seeing who he is. What does that tell us about this relationship that we have to God in prayer? To call God Father. Yeah. yeah. That we're his children. That we're his children. So here is, is Jesus teaching us to pray to some distant, um, indifferent deity? No. We're praying to the God. We're looking to a God who is in a personal, caring way connected to us. We address our prayers to a personal, caring God. The, the name Father kind of wraps up all of God's attributes in a very personal way. If you think about what God means by Father and calling his Father, it includes all of those things. What do we expect a Father to do? We expect a Father to care. We expect a Father to protect. We expect a Father to have wisdom and guidance. Right? All of those things that we know about God, that we understand about who God is, the names that he's given us, they're bound up in this name Father in a personal way. Everything we know about God is not just a distant idea or some God who's reaching down playing, but it's a God who is personally interacting with us. This was this prayer and the way it began, because it began like this, made this prayer so precious to the early church that they refused unbelievers to say this prayer. Uh, they, they held this prayer so tightly, uh, they held this as tightly as they did the Lord's Supper. If you were an unbeliever, you couldn't partake of the Lord's Supper, and they were fierce on that. And they were just as fierce with the Lord's Prayer because it began like this. If you are not God's child, you don't have the right to call him Father. But if you are his child, you have every right to call him Father. It's interesting, isn't it, uh, that it begins with our Father. Our Father. So he doesn't say here, when he is teaching us how to pray, he doesn't confine it simply to my Father. Now we can say that, but here Jesus teaches us as he's praying, he teaches us in a corporate way. This, here he is showing us how to pray together. That prayer is not just a private matter, but prayer is also a public matter where we pray together. He is not just my father, but when we gather to pray, he is our father. And we should come together to pray. How does adding the phrase afterwards, our father, which art in heaven, how does that affect the, the way we, we pray here? We've talked about Father, that it gets us to look at God in a personal sense through who
who he is, but what does it mean then to add, who art in heaven? So, uh, yes, yes, that's right. And what does it say about God? So if we say that God is in heaven, our God is in heaven, what do I mean by that? Joseph? He is the true God. Yes? He is the most high. Right, so now what we're doing, when we take our Father, which is a deeply personal expression, expressing all the attributes of God, and then we add in heaven, we're taking a deeply personal thing about God with the transcendent nature of God. He is in heaven. What does that mean? That is, he is beyond all that we are. He is outside of us. He is outside of everything we know. That is, this God who is our Father abides in heaven because he is everything. He is all-powerful. He is majestic. He is almighty. He is all of those things that we mentioned here just a moment. And that's where it is. So can you see how already Jesus is teaching us to look to God first? Think, when you start your prayers, think, who is this God I'm coming to? He is the Father, the one who is caring and guiding and protecting. But he is also almighty and infinite and power and above all because he abides in heaven, already our attention is being drawn to look at God himself first, to see him. What does it, uh, hallowed, there, there's an, an old word for you. What does hallowed mean? What does it mean to hallow God's name? To keep it sacred. It means to be holy. Hallow is to be holy or to be separate. So it's a, it's a special name. Now it is not a call for God to be holy, because he already is holy. This is a reminder to us to treat him as holy. So again, character, right? Father in heaven who is holy. So these are a reminder to us of who God is. So if we're, Jesus is teaching us already, as we're beginning our prayers... Think about the God you're coming to. Put him first. Think about his character, who he is. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then the next is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Here we have a response to that. So, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, if that is true of who God is, and I'm looking at my God, and he is this wonderful and personal, glorious Father who transcends all in heaven, and he is holy and separate and, and sacred in, in all things, what should my response be? Your will be done, not mine. See, so by putting my attention first on God, it sets me in the way where I now look at my prayer instead of saying, I'm here to get what I want. Say, I'm starting with God, and as I see God, what is my response going to be? God, whatever you want. What is your will 
His will, not, not my will. His kingdom, not my kingdom. What he wants on this earth, not me. All prayer willingly submits to God's purpose, to his plans and to his glory. Prayer for God's purpose in salvation, to be fulfilled, to cry out for his return, that his kingdom would come. You know, it's not a, not a bad thing. It's a good thing to pray for Christ to come back. That's, o- that's okay. It's a, it's a good thing. We're called to do it. We're, we're called as we, we respond here to thy will be done, thy kingdom come. We're, we're encouraged to, to look for him, to anticipate his coming again. It is a way to put our prayers into an eternal perspective. Right? So if I first, I'm looking at God and I'm coming to him who is this great and glorious personal God who is transcendent and powerful and almighty above all, who is separate and holy and glorious. And if I see that God, because I've looked for him in scripture, I'm going to respond to that saying, instead of looking at at things from my temporal way, I'm going to see it in an eternal way. What does God want? How does God see the circumstances I'm in? How does he want this to work for his will? When we start that way, when we start as Jesus is teaching us, then the short-sightedness of our prayers starts to disappear. So instead of praying for what I want now or tomorrow or next week, I'm beginning to start to see the eternal, transcendent, glorious, personal God has a plan which includes all things, How does what I need fit into that glorious, eternal plan? I'm going to submit to him. Then we move into the second part of these things, which is our request and our personal need as we come into verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. A request for food for for sure and really further, it is a, it's an example of, of everything that we need within the physical realm. So food is one of our most basic essential needs to live. It's, it's what we need, one of our needs. And so it represents here not just that we ask God for food, but that we, we can approach him and ask him for any of our needs within the physical realm. The things that we need to survive, the things that we need from God. It's also a recognition that, you know, and, and this is probably particularly helpful for us within the West because for most of us, for 98% of us, the idea of daily food is not, we don't think about it. We go to the shop, we buy it, and we come home, or we we go out and we eat. It's not an issue. Here it's a reminder that even the food that we have, everything that we need, all of the basics that we have, this is from God. When I stop and I think, okay, I give us this day our daily bread. It is, it is not just ask God for the needs, but also to recognize and to thank God that he is providing for me daily in the very needs that I have when he provides those. It's a recognition that all good things come from God, that he is the provider of all that we need. So in one sense, this is a, a request God, give me what I need, and seeking him for the needs that we have in the physical realm, 
but probably more than just request, it turns into praise and thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for giving me my needs today. Thank you for fulfilling what I needed in this moment, in this hour. It's a prayer of thanks, which springs from dependence. If prayer is anything, it is an expression of dependence in every aspect of it. Prayer, which is why proud people don't pray. Because we don't think we need to. We can do it ourselves. Prayer expresses in every form, I need God. Notice it's, it's not just give us our, our bread, but give us today our daily bread. That is every day I need to look to God and trust God and depend on God on what I need and thank him for providing him that day and what he does each and every day. What I need, not just fulfilling all my wants. He follows that with, uh, uh, with give us this day our daily bread, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Debts or sins here in Luke 11, 4, instead of debt says sin, so we, we know that's what, what he means here, our, our debt of sin. Um, we are in debt to, to God, and this is, this is here at the heart of prayer. And in fact, it's what, well, let's look here. So we go down, verse 14. So the, his prayer ends in verse 13 and verse 14. So immediately after keeping this prayer, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Right, so out of all the things that he's included in teaching us to pray, the thing that he decides after he has shown us this prayer and how to pray, the first thing he decides to confront and to talk and to explain a little bit more about is forgiveness. And to draw that to our attention again after he has taught us to pray, to confess. And again, if there's anything that's at the heart of dependence, it is that need to confess, to be forgiven of our sins. And so he leads us into this third of the, the requests here in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Now, that doesn't mean that God leads us into sin, because God never tempts us to sin. We might picture this as um, a readiness for battle. God, prepare me to battle for what's before me. Because if we follow God, and we're following what he is, he is going to lead us into places where we are going to be in a spiritual battle. We can't help it. As we follow God, he will lead us to places where there will be temptations to sin. He will lead us to places where, where the forces of wickedness will not want us to proceed. And we're going to need him. So this is, again, an expression of dependence. God, as you lead me, don't let me fall. Protect me. Protect me when I go to places where Satan is going to oppose. Protect me when I go to places when my sin nature is going to bite at me. 
Give me the strength I need to live for you. This is a call for God to protect us as we live for him and as we move into the world for him. It's a prayer to help us uh, avoid the sin and the evil uh, and a recognition that I just cannot do it on my own. You know, as if, if I'm going to follow Christ, I am going to find my place, myself in places of, of difficulty and trial and temptation, and I am not going to be able to do that on my own. I need his protection. I need his strength. So in this, this passage, Jesus exposes so much of our, our superficial religion, um, particularly in regards to prayer. Um, Pastor John MacArthur says here in regards to prayer, because communion with God is so vital, the enemy seems constantly to introduce errors into the church's understanding of prayer. Every generation at every time faces the necessity to purify a corrupted or confused comprehension of prayer. And it's true. You, mean, you, you look even in just the last 20 or so years, the ridiculous things that have come out to confuse people in prayer. Um, maybe, maybe you heard of it. This is probably going back 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more. And the, the prayer of Jabez was popular. And it was praying that God would expand our boundaries and, and all of those things. And, and people were praying verbatim, the prayer of Jabez, because that would bring God's blessing. Well, no, it wasn't. And God never said it would and never promised it would. In more recent times, uh, there's been things like the, the circle maker, which essentially is just New Age theology, and we're told, uh, think big and ask God for big things. And if you ask God for big things and believe him, God will provide big things. Just have big goals, and God will answer your big goals. You know, we, there is a thousand different ways that Christianity, popular Christianity, has confused prayer and made prayer. And I think that's why so many Christians have unfulfilling prayer lives because we keep getting told from here or there or whatever that prayer needs to be this way or that way or we read this book about it and read that book about it and, and well, it, I don't know. And it's not that complicated and it's not that, that hard. It's very easy to get off course in our motives and our methods of prayers if we don't stay focused on what Jesus teaches us. So what are some of the ways that Jesus shows us and how not to pray? So that's how Jesus shows us to pray. And we're going to get a bit more specific on those things next week as we look more particularly at follow that. But before he teaches us how to pray in those verses, he takes us through a couple of things, a ways of how not to pray. So Matthew 6 and verse 5. It says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So the, he's speaking to something they knew very well. So the, the Pharisees and the, and the priests and all, who wanted to be seen as being very spiritual. Uh, in Israel they had three set times to pray. Now, in order for them to be, to be seen as spiritual, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all, when that time came, no matter where they were, 
they would stop, which is why he says on the street corners and all that. So if, if the time came to pray and they were walking on the way to the synagogue, they wouldn't wait till they get there. They'd stop where they were at and they would lift up their hand and they'd start praying out loud wherever they were so that people could see them and, and know that, oh, they're keeping their, their time of, of prayer. They're doing the right thing. They're, they're spiritual people wherever they, they are. This here, Jesus is, is talking about the motives of the heart. Why are you, you praying? Why are you, you taking that? Why are you standing there praying? What is the motive that you are praying about or praying for? You know, it's, it's like, hey, I remember as, as kids, you know, sometimes you, you, you go out with, with people and even as teenagers and, and whatever, you go out to eat somewhere and you know, one person came, the food would come and so we'd pray for our food and someone would say, well, we need to pray for our food. So they'd stand up in the middle of the, the restaurant and uh, just start praying out loud so that everybody could hear. The whole restaurant would stop and look because we were praying for our meal because they needed to know we were praying for our meal. Why? There was no point to that. There was no reason why that was going to work. The problems in our prayer arise when it becomes a religious exercise and not about a relationship. See, that's why Jesus starts with our Father. Because prayer is about the relationship we have with God, not the duty we have with God. It's deeper than that. So he says there in verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, when you pray. So Jesus' expectation is that we will pray. And like, like the, the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees, had, they had their three times. And so they'd stop and they would pray those three times. But Jesus is telling us, you can pray whenever and wherever you want to pray. You don't have to wait for the set period of time. And you don't have to stop where you're at just because that's the time to pray. You can pray whenever you want. Enter in thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Okay, so he's not saying there that when you pray, you have to be alone. Because there's too much instruction in prayer which tells us that prayer should be corporate as well as private. What he's saying is prayer shouldn't be a display. That's why he's put it that way. Because he's just said in verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites who pray out in the open so everyone will see. Rather, it's not about whether people see. Okay, do you need quiet, alone time with God? Yes, you absolutely do. You need that. Uh, but that is not the only way to pray. Um, it is important to pray with others. It's important to pray with your family. It's important to pray with the church. It's important to pray together as much as it's important to pray on our own. Verse 7, he says, But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. You remember uh, when uh, Elijah's on Mount Carmel with the, uh, the prophets of Baal, and their prayers to their God is just... Uh, constant repetition of mantras and emptiness and just over and over again trying to get their God to hear. Saying the same things over again. That's how people use the, the Lord's Prayer here often. It's a complete misunderstanding of, 
of prayer that you know, if you just recite the words that it will be okay. That, that just views God as being indifferent and, and distant. Uh, it's, it's as if you say the right words or you use the right phrases that you can manipulate God to do what you want. If I say it the right way, or if I do the right thing, or if I sound the right way, well, then God will answer. But if I stumble or if I don't know the right words to use, then God's not going to hear. So as long as I just say the right thing and do the right thing, it'll be, it'll be all right. But prayer isn't about manipulation. Your prayer is not, I mean, this is what we've been talking about all along. Prayer is not me trying to get God to do what I want. Prayer is about molding me so that I know what God wants. And pray. So it, it doesn't matter what words you, you use or whether you use the right phrases. You know, the Lord's Prayer here isn't a secret password. You know, and the, the vain repetition doesn't just have to mean repeating a prayer or, or doing things, because it, it's, and by that I, I don't mean that you can't pray God's word. You should. It, it's genuinely okay when you're sitting down in your prayer life to just pray what you read there and pray it back to God if your mind is in it and you're contemplating it. But it's not just about that. It's also about, about those vain repetitions that we have, that we hold on to. Do we pray the same prayer every time we sit down to a meal? Because it's habit. Sit down, pray this. That's an easy rut to fall into. Do we say the same things? Do we pray about the same things in the same order? Because we've fallen into that pattern. That's as much a vain repetition as just repeating something without, because we're just, the mind is not in it. Our heart is not in it. You know, there are some other misguided motives that we have in our prayer, and I think that's under the title, Misguided Motives. One of the reasons that is not a good reason to pray is guilt. Guilt is not a good reason to pray. And by that I mean guilt is, if I don't pray, I won't be an acceptable Christian. Because that, that's not going to breed a healthy relationship in your prayers. So I've got to pray because that's what Christians do. And, and I have to pray, and if I don't pray, then it's just not acceptable. God's not going to like me. People are going to think I'm unspiritual if I don't pray. And we get guilt, and so we pray because we feel guilty. And guilty prayers, inevitably, are going to be massively unsatisfying. Because we're just there because we think somebody is making us be there. We need something better than that. On the flip side, not just guilt, but uh, approval is another bad motive for praying. That is, if I pray, God will think I'm good. If I pray, I'll be acceptable to God. He will look favorably on me because I'm doing my duty. I'm doing the right thing. Again, it's, is, is God happy when we pray? Yes, he is. Is he happy when we pray just because he thinks he wants us to pray? No. Because we're not, we're not really praying, we're just saying words. So a misguided motive is, one, guilt, that is, uh, I'm not an acceptable person if I don't pray, or approval, that is, I'm praying because I want God to like me, and that's not going to work. And the other one is, is that I've got here is uh, like a, a growth. 
church or, or ministry growth. That is, we pray because we want to see God do something to grow things. So I'm going to pray because it's going to make God work better for me. What is, what is the only motive worth having in prayer? What is the fundamental, what do you think the most fundamental, the most enduring motive for prayer is? We divided prayer into two sections. The first is one thing and the other is I am needy. What was the first one? He is worthy. That is the only enduring motive for prayer because he's worthy of prayer. You think about it. When we get to heaven and we talk with God and we interact with God on a personal level, which is what prayer is, are we going to be interceding for people's needs? No. Are we going to be offering God praise because he is worthy? Yes, we are. So all of the other things that we pray about and all the other things that we have, when this world ends and Christ comes back and he takes us to eternity, all of those other needs disappear. The only thing that remains is worship. That's the only thing that remains out of all the things we pray for. He is worthy. He is worthy to be praised. That's the only enduring motive for prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. That he's worthy to be worshipped. You may feel like praying or you may not feel like praying. You may be energized to pray or, or feeling dull. You may see answers or not see answers to your prayers. But God is still worthy to be sought. No matter what happens in your prayer, no matter how you feel, about your prayer because worship is eternal. Worship is eternal. We won't be praying for healing in heaven. We won't be praying for the spiritual warfare in heaven. That's gone. We won't be praying for church growth in heaven. None of that we'll be praying for only worship. And so we're brought back to the beginning. We pray because he is worthy and I am needy. Psalm 40 verse 16 summarizes this well for us. Psalm 40 and verse 16 and verse 17 says that all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. For my help and my deliverer, do not delay, O oh my God. The psalm expresses exactly what we're talking about. God is worthy because I am desperately needy. So I've got a list, and I wasn't sure whether to put this in because I took these, these are lists that he gives out of, the, out of this book, and I wasn't sure to put it through, but I'm, I'm going to put it in here because there's some good things as a reminder here to summarize what we do. So I'll give you this, this list of things of what prayer is and prayer is not. So firstly, pray to seek God's face, not just his hand. And that's been the underlying theme that we've been talking along all the way along. Pray to seek God's face, not just his hand. 
Is that not how Jesus taught us here in Matthew 6? The first half, seek God before we start looking at our needs. The second one in that list is pray with your heart fixed on God's glory, not just for personal satisfaction. This, so pray so that God is glorified, not just so that I get what I want or so that I feel satisfied. I'm going to be much more satisfied, much more content, much more what I ought to be if I'm seeking God's glory, not just my own fulfillment. So pray with your heart fixed on God's glory, not just for personal satisfaction. Thirdly, pray, for the, pray from the treasury of God's word, not from a list of your own ideas. Uh, and that's what we've been talking about. Remember, so it's not just... Not that you can't have a list of prayer requests, but let's not start there. Let's start with God, and then let's get to our needs. Uh, fourthly here, and if you missed it, or I, just let me know and I'll, I'll fill it in for you. Fourthly, pray according to the Spirit's instruction, not only from human reason. And that's when we talked about the leading of the Spirit in our prayer. That is, let the Word of God be used by the Spirit of God to guide and instruct us in the way we pray and the way we understand God. Uh, so go to prayer, having been fed by God's Word, and let that inform you on how to pray for things instead of going, there's a need, this is how I think it should be met. Uh, start with God first. And nextly, pray with a heart completely surrendered to His will, not with a hurried personal agenda. When I'm in a rush and when I'm not paying attention, I'm coming to God and I'm going, God, this is what needs to be done. But if I take my time and I look to God first, I'm going to find out what He wants instead of just trying to push my will on Him. So uh, pray with a heart completely surrendered to His will, not with a hurried personal agenda. And then... Uh, here, pray in anticipation of living triumphantly in the war zone, not in satisfaction with your comfort zone. Right? That is, so pray so that I'm going to move forward. I'm going to grow. Don't pray so that I can just be comfortable where I'm at. God, help me to be comfortable here. Help me to have a good day, that it won't rain on the weekend because I've got stuff to do and fun to have. Right? So we're, we're not just praying for our own comfort, we're praying so that God will move us into the battlefield and protect us there. And then finally, uh, pray that God would charge you, or sorry, God would change you, not simply change things. So we're looking at what God's going to do within us, not just the circumstances around us.